Come on. Do you believe that? Because sometimes we don't live like we believe that. Now, see, no one says amen on that. I mean, let's just not be worked up into emotional frenzy here. Let's keep it real. Like, sometimes we, we forget to live like we're children of God. Amen? And, and, and therein lies the problem. So we got to live like we're children of God. we got to live like that song isn't just a song. Like, it resonates in our hearts. Like, that's truth that, like, emanates from our body and our soul and, our, and the way we act, the way we live, the way we talk. Man, I want to thank Pastor Dan last week. Uh, we're in this Facing the Giants series, and he talked about doubt. And it was cool because he, he, he kind of gave us permission to doubt. Now, now, let me explain before y'all, if you weren't here last week, what? Not doubt God, but doubt our ability to discern the will of God. Amen. And so it kind of frees us up because then we can come to church and say, you know, I have some doubts. Not in God, not in his word, not in the truth, but in my ability to understand that, articulate and live that out. And uh, so it's really, really a great message. We're going to continue in that series. Michael Dickerson of Camden, London. This guy has repeatedly been filmed. Maybe you've seen him on YouTube, but he's been repeatedly filmed walking backwards. The 68-year-old self-diagnosed himself with a psychological disorder that he calls retropulsion. And it causes him, in his own words, he says, to always walk backwards. Watch this. Yeah, weird, right? Some of y'all do that? <laughs> if you do, don't, don't, don't respond, please. But as we talk about facing our giant of our past, that's a great mind picture of, of what it's like when we're stuck in the past. Now, I know that no one here thinks they're stuck in the past, right? I mean, we're in church and we have to act like everything's perfect. Well, things aren't all perfect. Not because God's not perfect, but because we're imperfect. And the truth is, some of us are stuck in the past. So to help us realize that some of us are truly, in fact, stuck in the past, and if you're not, praise God. But for those of that are, I, I want to help us realize and be honest with where we're at. Here, here's uh, six signs that you're stuck in the past. This is by Life Coach Tex Laley. Number one, you moan constantly. Number two, you thrive on negativity. You bury your head in the sand. You reject opportunities, you don't ask for help, and you don't forgive. Anybody can relate to that? Maybe you say, ah, oh, that, that's no, not me. Why don't you ask the person sitting next to you what he or she thinks? Maybe they would be a little more honest with this. See, the reason we're stuck in the past, at least partially the reason we're stuck in the past, is because for many of us, we view our past the wrong way. We, uh, we're ashamed of our past. We're embarrassed by our past. And so what we do is we distance ourselves from that former life, pretending that it never happened. The truth is, our past can be beneficial. God uses our past 
as building blocks. And he molds us through our past into the people he wants us to be. He takes our, our, our former mess-ups, our, our flaws, our past failures, and he uses them to make us more like Christ. I got a 2012 Honda Pilot. Now, I was going to put a picture of it up there, but I didn't want to make you all jealous, okay? I don't want to cause anybody to stumble today. So I got a 2012 Pilot, and it looks really cool on the outside, especially it's got a little gathering decal. If you don't have a gathering decal on your car, um, get one, okay? But drive nicely, okay? Uh, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with the car. It looks good. You say, oh, that's a nice car. But what you don't know is that car's got some history. You see, I'm frugal, also known as cheap, and I buy cars that have been wrecked. And so if you would lift up the rear hatch and take off the little plastic panel in the back, you would see that this thing has been in a wreck, right? And they MacGyvered this thing together. And in fact, when I go over a bump every once in a while, the, 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 the back plastic trim just falls off. You know, I'm, I'm running out of duct tape. I'm running out of ways to, 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 to adhere that thing. But, you know, the truth is it's, it's got some history. And in fact, it's got what the state of Arizona would call a salvage title, also called a restored title. This is the title for that beautiful car that's sitting in the parking lot. It's for sale. No, it's not really for sale. <laughs> it's not for sale. You think I'd try to sell this after what I just told you? <laughs> Full disclosure. Hey, we're authentic. If you buy it, that's on you. Just don't go over any speed bumps. So it says right here under Arizona Brands, it says restored slash salvage. Okay? So it's, it's got a, you know, it's, it's known in Arizona for being a damaged vehicle. And the truth is, when, when I get rolling uh, down the road, I look back in the back seat, it's got a little wobble. You know what I'm saying? If I get going, I mean, if I'm 45, I'm fine. But if I'm out on the interstate, it's got a little wobble. The truth is, we all have a little wobble, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. The truth is, we're all salvage titles, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, you, you say, well, wait a second. Second Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It means I get to go to a new, car, uh, a new you know, car dealer and just pick out whatever I want. Not exactly. God takes our vehicle. And I don't know if you knew this, but God's in the restoration business. <laughs> he likes to, to, to take things. He, he takes our heart of stone and, and gives us this heart of flesh that's more you know, moldable. And he'll take our past. He'll take our failures. He'll take our, our, our mess-ups and all these things that we like are, are embarrassed about. And he says, I'm going to take those and make restoration from this. I'm going to make beautiful things from the ashes. Here's the big idea. God turns our past into purpose. Say it with me. God turns our past into purpose. Heavenly Father, I thank you as we get into your word today, God, that you would illuminate uh, this idea, God. You would show us from your word that you make beautiful things out of things that we're embarrassed about, out of, out of uh, train wrecks. You take those train wrecks, God, and you bring restoration. You bring hope from things that we would think are, are, are worthless, God. We just thank you that you uh, show us from your word what you have for our life. May we listen and may we act on your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 9. Acts 9. If you've got your Bible, turn to Acts 9. If you've got your smartphone, you can pull it up. Acts 9. We're going we're to talk about a guy named Saul. The problem is he's also known as Paul. So I don't want to mess you up. 
He's got two names. He's cool like that. His Hebrew name is, is Saul, but he was, he's from the town of Tarsus, this Roman city. And so his, his Roman name is Paul. So throughout the New Testament, he's called Saul, but also Paul. Anything after Acts 13, verse 9, he will be known strictly as Paul. So same guy. Just wanted you to know that. He's on the way to Damascus. It's a town about five-day journey from Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand, the religious leaders at the time that, that Saul was living, the, they were Pharisees, and they would, uh, they would enlist the services of zealots. Because remember, they denied Christ. They denied the Messiah. And so people who belonged to the way or people who were Christians, also known in the early church as disciples. In fact, they were known more in the early church as disciples and not Christians. They, uh, these zealots would persecute uh, these, these followers of Christ. And perhaps the biggest persecutor in the early church was this guy named Saul. Saul would go throughout Judea and Samaria, he'd rip Christians out of their homes and throw them in jail, and even would persecute them to the point of death, execute them. Now he was nearing Damascus, and, and, and Saul sees this light. He drops to his knees. And Jesus says to him, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And let me just pause there. He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Anytime you jack with the bride of Christ, you're jacking with Jesus. Okay? You're messing with God. Anytime you, 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 you criticize a pastor or, or you criticize someone in the church, you throw stones at someone, just realize you're messing with Jesus. Okay? So he says, he says Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And then he, uh, he blinds Saul for three days. You know, how many, how many know that God's got your attention all of a sudden when you, you can't see for three days, right? He's blind for three days, but instead of healing him himself, God could have healed Saul, right, like that, right? But he allows him to be blind for three days. And what does he do? He commissions a guy named Ananias, not the same Ananias in Acts 5 who had the property, right? Didn't end well for that guy. But it's a different Ananias. This Ananias, he commissions him and says, look, I want you to go and restore Saul's sight. Acts 9, verse 10, let's get into God's word. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. What's he saying? He's saying, this guy's got a past. And quite honestly, he freaks me out. So is there anybody else you could call to do this? Right? Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Like, how many of you know that when God says go, you, you go. Right? He says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he, mu he must suffer for my name. And let me just point out, there's a the amount of suffering you, you, you do is directly proportional to the call on your life and to your willingness to, to step into that call. If you want to do something great for God, I want to do something great for Jesus. Okay. You be ready to suffer. Or you can take the easy route. Show up at church once a week, throw something in the plate. Maybe serve once in a while. 
go home and live however you want to live and show up again next week. God's not interested in that life. You will squeak into heaven by the grace of God, but that is not what he had planned for you. There is suffering that is related to being obedient. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Awesome thing happened, but oftentimes you've heard this message taught, you know, celebrating the miracle, and the miracle is awesome. But today I want to focus a little bit on on Saul's past. You see, how does God turn past into purpose? How would God take a past like that and turn it into some purposeful, some meaningful life? Answer, God uses our past as preparation for our future. Look again at verse 15. He says, go, this man is my chosen instrument. Could you imagine what, what, what Ananias was thinking at that time? Like, seriously, God? You could have chosen anybody to help launch your church, and you chose that guy? Like, really? He's the one that's, that's going around and persecuting and killing people. Like, he's the, he's the least likely person. He was the Osama bin Laden. Oh, yeah, I said it. He was the Osama bin Laden of, of that day. He hated, hated Christians. You see, the world saw an obstacle. Ananias saw an obstacle. God, he saw an opportunity. And here's what's interesting. The world tells us what we're not, right? You got family members that, that maybe say they love you. They might even tell you what you're not. We live in a world that's always penalizing us for our past. I mean, think about it. You go, you, you, you want to get a CDL license, right? Drive a truck. Oh, I'm sorry. You had a DUI. Can't do it. You want to go buy a car. Oh, you had bad credit from when you were, you know, 19. You want to buy a gun. I'm sorry. You had a felony. You want to get insurance. Ah, you've got pre-existing insurance. That's why I need insurance, right? Hello? You want financial aid? I'm sorry, you're in the middle class. We don't, we don't, we can't help you there. You want to buy a home in Sun City? Sorry, you're not 55. Oh, you can buy, you just can't live. (laughs) Thank you. That's awesome. Very helpful. You go to check out a library book, you got a late fee. And worse yet, if you get too many late fees, they pull your card. Redbox, don't you forget to take your Redbox back, because if you forget long enough, they're going to charge you the full fee of $35. Don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> Rick and Sue, uh, you may find the latest copy of Jurassic Park in, uh, in your, your cabin that you let us use uh, a couple weeks ago. Feel free to, it's bought and paid for. <laughs> But see, God looks at it differently. God sees our past not as, as, as an obstacle or not as a disqualifier like the world sees it. God sees our, our, our past as preparation 
for what he wants to do in us and through us. You say, but wait a second. You don't know what I've done. Don't you know that everyone says that, that, right? I mean, God can forgive art, right, but not a loser like me. Don't you know everyone says that? Everyone thinks that God's forgiveness is for someone else, but not for them. Let me tell you, if you have a life full of hurt, pain, disappointment, and failure, if you have a past that's full of that, I want to tell you something. God's getting ready to use you in a big way. (laughs) And and don't take my word for it. Listen to someone who's smarter than me, C.S. Lewis. He says, God rarely uses a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. And I'm not talking about, you know, self-induced suffering. I'm not talking about, hey, let's go to the bar tonight and, and uh, tie one on, boys. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about that. All right? God, we have to live a Christ-like lifestyle. But I'm saying, even through the path of obedience, God will allow us to be wounded. God will allow us to be hurt. God will allow us to develop some scars in this life to develop our character. He doesn't want wimpy little you know, Christians that are you know, superficial. You know, we're talking today, most Christians are like a bad photograph, right? Overexposed and underdeveloped. Right? I mean, it's true. And God is, God is interested in our character. He's interested in, in making us more like him. And let me tell you, God loves himself a good comeback story. Oh, buddy, he loves the comeback. He's known for that. He's a fourth quarter God, let me tell you. Uh, one, one night in Ohio, I used to live in Ohio, and I was, <laughs> and I was watching uh, Monday Night Football. And I was born in San Francisco, so my team used to be the Niners. That was before they lost respect in my book. And I won't go into that right now. But, uh, but I used to root for them. And it was like they were down by like, I don't know, 20 points in the fourth quarter. And, and, and in Ohio, it's a few hours behind, right? So like Monday Night Football doesn't get over until 11, 11.30. And so that was the fourth quarter. I, you know, sometime I think there was like... Actually, I think the fourth quarter just started. I think they were down like 20 points. Game was over. I go to bed, right? And you know what happened, right? I woke up the next day, and sure enough, the greatest comeback in history. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I missed it. Right? But that's what we would have looked at, at Saul. We'd have been like, that, that game is over, right? That game is way. And God's like, oh, no, no, y'all went to bed too early. Y'all went to bed too. You're going to wake up and you're going to see what I'm going to do. I'm going to take his fire. I'm going to take his tenacity. I'm going to take his resolve that he used to use to haunt the church to launch the church. That's what God does. He finds our strengths and our weaknesses. He develops our character. And then he says, oh, I got something cool coming. Oh, you thought you were going to come here and sit on your butt from Chicago? You thought God was done with you? Oh, sorry. I, I I got a comeback coming, right? And he's doing that through Pastor Gary. He's doing it through our leadership team. We got so many cool stories of of so many comebacks in this church. It's awesome. And listen, don't ever apologize for your past, okay? Don't apologize. We we are like embarrassed of our past. We look at our past as something shameful. And and, and let me be clear. We're not to glorify sin. Ephesians 4.27, give no place to the devil. So I'm not talking about regaling the sin that we used to be part of. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is celebrating our spiritual formation. Celebrate the very things that God has done, that God has allowed in our lives to bring us to the point we're at today. 
we got ourselves a story. But that story came with a price. But so we got to learn to celebrate these milestones. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate graduations. Why not celebrate our spiritual growth moments? The hurt, the pain, the scars. And I know it's hard to celebrate that because it hurts. But don't you know, that's where we grow the most. And if you circumvent that, okay. But you're going to miss out on some real good growth moments. We got to use our story for God's glory. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1. I love this. I love this. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. In other words, they only heard of my past. The, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Verse 24, and, he, and they praised God because of me. See, it was all, all, it was all about getting God praise. Your past, your history, your mistakes, God wants to take it and use it so that he gets glory out of it. And I know a lot of your stories, uh, and I would never divulge them, uh, but you should divulge them. Like, you should tell people. It's not my place to tell your story. It's your place to tell your story. You're a steward of your story. So stop sitting on gold. You know, I love it. You know, I, I, some of your stories I can tell because I've already talked to you and you've already given me permission to. We've got, you know, f- people who are the, struggle with addiction, struggle with alcohol, different, different sins in here. And many of you, I know for a fact because you told me, you are using your story for God's glory. In fact, just this week, uh, Pastor Dan and I were sitting down with a young man in this church, and he was sharing his past and addiction. Now, I've been working with this guy for like three years, okay? And I don't have a past and addiction. Now, I got plenty of stuff. Don't worry. I got my stuff. <laughs> I ain't squeaky clean, okay? I've got a past. But I don't have the past and addiction. And so I've been meeting with this guy for three, three years. And, you know, some cool things happen, but I hadn't made that much progress. Dan sits down with him and says, oh yeah, I, I got a past and addiction too. And begins to share his heart. And boom, Holy Spirit shows up. This guy's bawling, sharing his heart and his life. And, and, and like it was really deep, man. It was good. It was a rich conversation. Never would have happened if only Johnny was there. Because I ain't got that story. He used that story and was vulnerable for God's glory. Don't be embarrassed about that sto- story. Don't sit on that. Pastor Gary this week, we had this pastor's lunch with all the pastors in town. You know, not all the pastors, but the pastors who wanted to get together. Because we're about kingdom. We're about, like, working together with, with, with other churches that are Christ-like and like-minded. And so we, we hooked up with some churches uh, that were like that and got together with them. And it was really cool because Pastor uh, Gary was, was the oldest one. You know, he was kind of like the wise sage. <laughs> Hang on, this is going to be good. Where you at, Gary? He's in Vegas. Back there playing Powerball on his phone or something. So uh, it was really cool because, like, all of us were smart enough to shut up. You know what I mean? Like, the people who hadn't been in ministry long enough, and there was this one kid, this one young guy kind of talked a lot, and I just wanted to say, dude, bro. Just, just be quiet and listen. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to teach our young people to listen to the older folks because that's why they're older. You know, if you look at the Bible, I know the world makes fun of gray hair. Uh, the Bible esteems gray hair, right? 
And, um, and so Gary was giving him some, 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 he was dropping some knowledge on, on all of us, really. And uh, it was really cool because I, 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 we left the meeting. And I said, man, those guys were really sponging, right? And he's like, yeah. He goes, I just really want to help them avoid the mistakes I made. And I thought, hoop, there it is, right? And that's what I'm talking about. He's like, I want to use my past, the good and the bad, and everywhere in between, for God's glory. And he did that. I met with a couple this, uh, just uh, yesterday, actually. We had lunch, and they have a daughter, and they're here today. They, they have a daughter that is wayward. And they were talking about, man, how much it hurt and how much it's caused struggle, you know, in their life. But then they shared how they've used it to share hope with so many people who have wayward children. It's like if you've got a wayward son or daughter, man, you got a ministry. you got yourself a ministry because someone needs to hear what you've been through. And maybe you're still going through, right? Because, you know, today's story, you know, will be our past tomorrow. Yeah, and so we're going through something. And so it doesn't have to be something that happened 10 years ago. It can be something that happened 10 days ago. And use it for God's glory. Because here's, here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I'm getting at. The truth about God is God is a recycler. He's a recycler. Now, I know I talked about recycling a few weeks ago. All right? And all you all are about to run me out of church. Okay? But God's a recycler. What he does, he, he doesn't waste a tear. And some of y'all, myself included, We've cried some tears. We've wrestled with God, right? Like we don't always know the answer. We're like, God, why? But here's the cool thing about God. It's not like those tears just are wasted, man. Like God is, is right there catching those tears, catching that hurt, catching that pain. And he says, I'm not going to let it hit the floor. I'm going to recycle it. That hurt, that, that, that divorce you went through, God's not going to waste that. God wants to use that divorce to make you a better person and to help someone who might be going through that right now. Romans 8.28, that's the promise of Romans 8.28, one of my favorite verses, right? God causes all things to work together for them who love God and are called according to his purpose. I love that verse so much that I made this, okay? This, now, I made this uh, several years ago, and what it is is a piece of steel. Here's, here's how we start off in life, right? Nice, strong vibrant piece of steel and all of a sudden life happens namely you get married and have kids Amen. and I, and some of y'all people who are young and and you know you're not married and don't have kids you're still here okay so come back and talk to me in like 10 years all right i love you god bless you but like you know you you, you have kids and 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 you know you have a wife and it's, and, I, and I'm I'm joking. God can do amazing things without that. But for many of us, that's the way God kind of breaks us and allows us to be broken of our pride and and it helps us get to the end of us. Because good things happen when we get to the end of ourselves, right? Amen. And so He breaks us. But but the truth is, when He breaks us, man, it hurts and we're left feeling kind of bewildered and, and neglected and we're kind of feeling like damaged goods. And so the, the, the tendency is to kind of like, you know, give up on God or, or maybe hide our past or, or maybe self-medicate through a substance, right? And so what God, what God does, though, because he's in the restoration business, as I said earlier, he will restore us. He will take our brokenness. He will take our hurt. He will take our failures. He will take our pain. And he brings restoration. And, and so if you can see there, there's a little weld right there. 
And if this weld was done correctly, which it wasn't because I did it, <laughs> but if it was done correctly, this would be the strongest piece on this steel. You could break this steel anywhere other than that weld. Isn't that a good... Every once in a while, God gives me something. I'm like, I, I got to write this down. And then I got to go to my garage and, before I forget and, and, and mend this. But like, there it is, man. Like, that's, that's the Christian life. That's how God uses our past. He recycles the hurt, recycles the pain, and uses it for his, God, for, for his glory. Why? Because he turns our past into purpose. But here's the thing. I'm just, this is, you got you got, don't check out, don't, don't. Don't check Fox News right now, okay? Listen to me. Check Fox News afterwards, okay? For God to turn our past into purpose, we have to get over one key barrier. And, and there's other barriers, but I'm telling you, this is the biggest barrier that I believe as a church family we've got to get over. And as Christians, we have to get over. That is unforgiveness. For some, it's forgiving others like someone who hurt you or me, right? For others, it's forgiving yourself. And here's the key. We have to understand that God's forgiveness is complete. <laughs> when God said in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful to forgive us, he meant it. He said you're forgiven, you're forgiven. My supporting verse for God's forgiveness is complete. Here it is. That's not a mistake. See, you thought we were late to the party. That's it. So here's what I'm getting at. I, I, normally we would put a supporting verse in there right from the text. What I want to draw your attention to is what is not in the text. Notice... God didn't put a list of Paul's past mistakes. Notice that God didn't list all his failures. He didn't talk about in this passage about how, you know, the stoning of Stephen and all the people he persecuted and killed. Notice he didn't talk about a seven-step program. Notice he didn't say, you got to check this box, you got to go see this therapist, you got to go to counseling. All those things are good. But those speak of our healing. I'm talking about forgiveness. He said, you're forgiven. He said, you're my chosen instrument. He said, I got big plans for you. He says, I'm planning the fourth quarter comeback in your life. It's going to blow people away. People are going to be talking all around Samaria and Judea about this guy. This chosen instrument. Saul's past, it died with Jesus on the cross. And, and, and you know what? So did ours. My failures my hurt, the baggage that, that, that we try to carry, that we try to hold on to, God said, that's dead. Now, we can look back only for the purpose of using that for the glory of God. But as far as the forgiveness piece of it, let it go. God said, you're forgiven. He didn't stutter. He said, you're forgiven. And, and, and let's be honest. You know how hard it must have been for Saul to forgive himself? We act like these great men of God, like they, they just have this great power to, no, man, come on, it was hard for him. I mean, wherever he went, he was the elephant in the room. 
Oh, oh, that's 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 uh, that, that's him. Don't say anything about Jesus. That's him. Well, they say that he's he's he's, he's converted. They say that. Yeah. Are, are you willing to risk it? Like everywhere he went, he was that guy. And somehow, he got alone with God somewhere, and said, "Wow." you would forgive me like with all my stuff man like all you know what I did man like you would God says it's over it's done I see you as my chosen instrument and that's what he's looking at you today and me today and he's saying you're my chosen instrument there's hope in that but many of us man we don't we don't want to accept God's forgiveness we would be rather be mad we would rather carry a grudge because sometimes it's easier to be mad at someone who hurts you than to forgive them we are like funny about that, aren't we? We're like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. We'd rather relive the same story over and over and over again. And God says, you're forgiven. My, my forgiveness is complete. Yeah, but I just really like being mad at that guy because he hurt me. And it feels good to, to be mad at him because I'm not even sure why it feels good. Right? And so we don't accept the forgiveness that God has provided for us. It's bought. It's paid for in full. We just have to step into it. But we relive that same day over and over that happened 20 years ago. Get past it. I love you. You may never come back to this church because of what I'm about to say. Get over yourself. Get past it. God loves you. You are a new creation in Christ. Doesn't mean everything's perfect because we're imperfect. But get past it. we got to get past ourselves and our inability, or not inability, our unwillingness to let go of that which we were not meant to carry. Because what happens is we begin to project, project our heart wounds onto other people. We're mad. We carry a grudge. And so what do we do? We act out. And you're like, what's up with, with John? You know, why is, why is he so stressed? And why did he just like go off on me over something so small? It wasn't even about that. It was about someone that hurt me 16 years ago that I'm still holding on to. And it helps me to be mad at you because of my unwillingness to forgive him. Man, guys, we, you know, this is, this is not rocket science. This is simple stuff. It's, I mean, it's hard to do, but the concept is incredibly simple. We become leaky vessels. We hurt and we project and we leak this, this cancerous hate on others. And God says, man, that's not what I've created you to be. Come on. T.D. Jake says it this way. In order to move forward in life, you have to let go of old things and habits that no longer serve you. You have to clean the junk out of your trunk. <laughs> that is the only way to clear space for the new things that you desire in life. I was going to have you turn to your neighbor and say, clean the junk out of your trunk, but then I thought better of it. <laughs> I mean, if you could get away with that, you could get away with it in church, right? But I don't want to take that chance. But the truth is, many of us, if we're honest, spiritually, we have junk in the trunk. We got some stuff we've been carrying around, and it's time to get rid of the baggage. Like, it's time. Like, there's no better time than here, than now, or you can say, ah, I'm going to carry it another 16 years awesome. You're going to miss out on so much that God has for you. 
It's like you're, you're, you're like chained, man, chained to, that, to your past. God wants to build on your past. God wants to use that past for his glory, but it involves stepping into the completeness of his forgiveness. We got to do that. Because if you do that, friends, there is freedom in forgiveness. There's freedom in forgiveness. Watch this. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, yes, CBS News, Minneapolis. That's, uh, that's powerful, isn't it? That's powerful. Kind of helps bring some of the things maybe we need to do in perspective. Maybe some of the people that hurt you, that hurt us, you know. Maybe that brings it into perspective when you think she could do that. God could forgive Saul, right? 
and use him to do great things. Maybe he could forgive the person who hurt you, or maybe he could forgive yourself. You look at how God turned O'Shea's past into purpose. He's going around to prisons and to churches, making his story count for something, using it for God's glory. But that took Mary forgiving O'Shea, and it took O'Shea forgiving O'Shea. Today we're going to have family time, also known as prayer time. We're going to have our pastoral partners come and hang out here up, up at the front. And you know what? Maybe today you need to interact with God. First of all, I want to tell you, this is a safe place. If you can't be real here, where are you going to be real? If you can't bring your hurt here, where? <laughs> this is church. This is your family, right? And we got stuff. We got baggage. We got things we need to deal with. Today, I pray, man, like that we deal with it, that you don't talk yourself into leaving out the door if you got some business to do with God, or maybe it's business to do with yourself. Uh, I want the pastoral partners to come and kind of come, come up here, and, and I'm going to be up here, and, um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to invite you as Lindsay and the team lead us in worship, I'm going to... Uh, we're just going to invite you to come, and maybe, maybe for someone you don't know Jesus, like that's your greatest need, right? If you don't know Jesus, come see me or one of the partners, and we're going to lead you to Christ. But for others, it's it's uh, you just maybe maybe there's something going on in your life, and you're just hurting. Maybe you need healing. We're going to pray over you. Uh, but for some, if you're honest. It's, it has to do with the message today. It has to do with your past. Maybe it was the way you looked at your past. You looked at it as all completely negative, as if it was unredeemable. You need to change your mindset. Maybe for some, it's just stepping into the completeness of God's forgiveness and saying, God, I am forgiven. Sorry for carrying that baggage. I want to be forgiven. And for some, maybe you just need to sit there and worship. Or stand there and worship. Or kneel there and worship. Not trying to script this moment. We're led by the Holy Spirit. We want to let God do what God wants to do. But I do want to challenge you. Do what God wants you to do. Don't be scared. Don't talk yourself out of God's blessing. God has greatness planned for your life and for my life. But it ain't going to come easy. It comes through being obedient to what God is speaking to us in this moment and every moment thereafter. And all we can do is the next right thing. Can't worry about tomorrow, but we can worry about the next five minutes. Would you stand? And as we worship, I invite you to come and to pray.